reveals their hearts. Something is their hearts are being exposed. And, the, uh, uh, and there are four hearts that have been exposed uh, beginning in verse number in chapter number 10, uh, uh, beginning in verse number 17, when the rich young ruler, the rich young man comes to Jesus and we've talked about him already, but uh, he had a heart and the desire of his heart is exposed here. He had a self-serving heart, a self-serving desire. And he wanted to come to Jesus, and he knew that Jesus uh, had some spiritual power. He knew Jesus had spiritual authority, and he wanted Jesus to tell him what he lacked. One thing, just what one thing could I do so that I could know for sure that I have eternal life. And Jesus said, go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Come take up your cross and follow me. And he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So where's his heart? His heart is full of desire. Desire for the things of the world. He wanted to have this world, everything that this world had to offer, and heaven too. He wanted to have one foot in eternity and one foot in the world. And Jesus just does not work that way. And then we come to uh, uh, another one of those passages. And this is the third time. Clearly, uh, there are several other hints where Jesus touches on the fact that is going to the cross. But in verses 32 through 34, he tells them again very clearly that he is going to the cross. And, uh, and he goes into greater detail this time than he has in the other two times that he talked. Look at verses 33 and 34. He says, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. We're going. We're going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. They're going to pass the death sentence on him. <coughs> they shall deliver him to the Gentiles. The Romans, as uh, I, I'm assuming that's what it mean, means, they will uh, turn him over to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And so he goes into some pretty graphic detail as to what they're going to do, how they're going to brutalize him. Uh, and kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. Now you would think that uh, that would uh, move James and John and all the disciples to, uh, uh, to try to consider this, but, uh, but it reveals Jesus' heart too, doesn't it? 
This passage, these verses reveal Jesus' heart. What was his desire? The rich young ruler's desire was a self-seeking desire, but Jesus' desire is a self-sacrificing desire. He is going. He is determined to go. And as Luke says, he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. He was not turning back. This was the reason he came into the world. He said this in John, uh, I believe it's chapter number 12. He said, uh, uh, the, the hour is come and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Jesus came for this purpose to go to Jerusalem, God's place where God had chosen that he would be sacrificed for the sins of humanity. He loved his people so much. He loves his disciples, his followers. He loves those that the Father had given to him before the foundation of the world so completely and so desperately that he is willing to look the, the Gentiles, the wrath of the Jews and the nails of the cross and the bloody pulp, the uh, shame of the cross. Of course, he said he despised the shame, but the rest of it was joy. He's dying for his people. He wants to do that. This is his desire. A self-sacrificing desire. The disciples were... They, they didn't get it. In one sense, not that they didn't understand the words he was saying. I guess, and I, I know I've already preached on this, but I guess all we can say is that they didn't understand why. They didn't, they didn't get why their Messiah would, uh, the one that they thought was going to overthrow Rome, would allow himself to be murdered by Rome, to be executed by Rome. They, they couldn't get this, but there had, there had to be some little bit of... Uh, of understanding because the Bible said they were scared. Remember verse 33? Or 32, excuse me. And they were and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. I always like that up to Jerusalem. Don't you? Because it doesn't matter if you're going south to Jerusalem. The scripture always says they went up to Jerusalem because for one reason it was elevated, but it was it was the place where they met with God. They were on their way going up to Jerusalem and Jesus went before them and they were amazed. That means that they were terrified. They were frightened. And as they followed, they were afraid. They were frightened and afraid. They were afraid. So... You know, Jesus is saying they're going to take me. They're going to turn me uh, over to the 
to the Jews. They're going to falsely accuse me and sentence me to death and hand me over to the Gentiles. And they're going to do all these things. And, and, uh, and so there's got to be a little bit of, uh, of understanding of the danger that they're walking into when they follow him to Jerusalem. But then we come to verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him with a request. They have a request. And, they, and this reveals their heart too, doesn't it? Their request reveals their heart because their heart is a, a self Seeking heart. Mm -hmm. They want to ask Jesus something. They say, Master, teacher, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Now, what kind of a... <coughs> you know, I jotted down childish, not childlike. Jesus had told them that we need to be childlike to enter the kingdom right but not childish and they're being childish and the reason i say they're being childish uh, 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 do you remember when you were a child or do you remember when your children were young <coughs> they'd say daddy or mommy i won't ask you something but i know you're gonna say no would you please do it for me what do you want me to do? I'm afraid to tell you because I know you're going to say no. Isn't that, that's, have, have you experienced that? Have you even done that? I know you're not going to do it. But I'd like for you to go ahead and promise me that you'll do it before I tell you. And then I'll tell you. Well, that's what, uh, that's what these disciples were saying. Jesus, we want you to do for us what? Ever we ask. Well, Jesus was not taken by surprise by that, I promise. But he said, what would you that I should do for you? What do you want me to do? Uh, listen, you're, we're going to encounter that same question again in a little while. Jesus said, what would you have me to do? What do you want me to do? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. You know, they, uh, they had to have known that was wrong before they even asked, right? Or they wouldn't have gone to all that hum-hawing and, and everything. Would you do something for us, whatever we ask? They knew that they were asking the wrong thing, but they asked it anyway. They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on the right and the other on their left, on your left hand in your glory. Now this is just a, a request that is full of self-interest. They knew better than to ask it. 
but they wanted to be honored above all the other disciples. They wanted to be honored above other people. They wanted to have that high place. And, you know, uh, 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 Steve Lawson said this. He said there's probably five reasons why they would have asked this. I'm not sure I agree with all of them, but listen to what Steve Lawson said. He said, uh, he said first of all, Jesus told them, he told the disciples that they would sit on thrones reigning uh, with him in his kingdom and judging the nations. And Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Hope I wrote down the right scripture there. He said, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And so, uh, so he had, uh, and this was all in this same uh, uh, general time period. And so they asked because he had already promised that the disciples were going to sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so they probably thought, well, if uh, we're all going to sit on thrones, we'd like to have the, the best places. And, uh, and then secondly, he said it was because their mom was pushing them. And uh, that's uh, possible also because in Matthew chapter number 20, Matthew's account tells us that it was their mother who had come and bowed on her knees. She got down on her knees before Jesus and said the, basically the same thing. I want to ask you to do something. What do you want me to do? Grant that my two sons will sit right on, one on the right and one on the left of your throne in the kingdom. And so, uh, number three, Steve Lawson said that uh, another reason why they might have uh, felt that they were okay in asking this was that Peter, James, and John were obviously part of the inner circle. They were uh, the ones closest to Jesus. Jesus took them in when he uh, uh, raised that uh, uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead. Jesus took them with him up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so uh, uh, <clears throat> they were the first uh, disciples that he chose and so uh, it's very, very possible that they felt like they were justified in asking because of that. Number four, he said they uh, may have been related to Jesus. Now, this is something I don't know. And Steve Lawson's pretty sure it's true. But, uh, but he says that their mother's name is Salome and uh, that she was the sister of uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it's very possible that John and James were <clears throat> Jesus' first cousins. And so they might have felt like that it was, uh, uh, it was justified them asking to be uh, sitting on those two thrones. But here's the big thing, and, and I, I believe Steve Lawson is definitely right about this. 
the big thing is, the reason they ask is because this is a recurring problem that they can't get over. They can't get past. As a matter of fact, and I, I've meant to point this out for uh, several studies, but Luke tells us that when, uh, when Jesus was getting ready to uh, uh, go to the cross, I mean, after uh, right at that time when the, he was establishing the Last Supper and be, getting ready to go to the cross, listen to what... Uh, Listen to what we find in Luke chapter 22. Now this is right during that time of the uh, institution of the uh, Lord's Supper. Verse 24, And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. So they're still arguing. They're just about at the Lord's Supper and they're still arguing about who is the greatest. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> who is the greatest? And that's no doubt why Jesus in John chapter 13 went in with them and laid aside his garments and girded himself with a towel and began to wash their feet. He took the place of a servant. That's just what uh, he says here. He didn't come to be served, he came to serve. He didn't come to be ministered to. He came to minister and to give his life a ransom for me. So here's uh, James and John. They have, uh, they're exposing their hearts. Their hearts are full of self-interest. They're unloving to others. If somebody is going to get that, it, it, it just as well be me, just as well be James and John, it just as well be us. We should have that place of honor, that place of authority, and we don't really care what happens to the rest of the disciples. Unloving. Actually, this is no different from the attitude of the Pharisees. Am I right? Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? When you give, don't sound a trumpet like the Pharisees do. When you pray, don't, stay, don't stand in the center of the marketplace or on the corner and, uh, and pray to be seen of men. They were wanting that honor. They were more concerned about personal honor than they are being honored, not their not honor in the sense, uh, uh, in a good sense, but they were more concerned to be honored, to be thought highly of, to be exalted in the eyes of men than they were to actually be holy and followers of Jesus. Unloving. And their hearts revealed self-confidence here. Jesus said unto them, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of in the baptism with, uh, and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said unto him, we can. Isn't that a... Sad thing, they had no idea what they were saying. 
the baptism or the cup that Jesus is about to drink, that's the one that was such a horrific thing that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when that cup loomed before him, it fetched a sweaty, a bloody sweat from his brow. It was a horrible thing. It's a cup of wrath. It's the cup of judgment, the cup of death, the cup of suffering. And the baptism that Jesus is to be baptized with is the baptism of his death, his sacrifice for others, laying down his life for his own. And he said to James and John, well, you're right about one thing. You are going to suffer. You are going to take that cup of suffering like I am. It's not exactly in the same way because their, uh, their suffering uh, had no, uh, uh, no power in it other than a good testimony and good example. But you will take that cup of suffering and you will be baptized with death. And resurrection. Well, they. This is all showing their their pride and uh, and so Jesus rebukes them. the The rebuke from Jesus is, "You don't know what you're asking. You're." I'm going to be taking a cup of suffering. I'm going to be taking the baptism of death. And you're going to have to uh, endure that as well. But he says in verse number 40, But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is Prepared. And so this is a, uh, don't uh, know exactly who that's going to be. Jesus did not go any further in detailing that. But we do know this, that uh, to follow him, you have to be willing to lay aside everything else, right? You have to be willing to deny yourself. And take up your cross and follow him. So I think it would be. Uh, it would make sense. It would just make sense. That the ones who have that those places of honor. One on the right and one on the left. Might just be the ones who suffer the most for him. But. There's one thing we do know about it. Is that this has all been established decreed and ordained by God and that none of this is left to chance. God has declared the end from the beginning. Then look at verse number 41. And when the ten, so now we, we've heard what James and John have to say and their request now let's see the resentment of the ten. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. Who do they think they are? 
displeased, indignant. It's a little bit more than just a slight uh, bit of hurt feelings. They're, they're downright angry that James and John have been so bold and so heartless and prideful as to ask such a thing. And so they were angry. Well, why in the world would you be angry if you didn't think you ought to have that spot? I mean, why, why were they angry if they weren't the same way? They were angry because they thought, well, you know, who do you think you are to ask for that? I've got as much right there as you do. I should be there as well as you. Who do you think you are? Who do you think I am? Do you remember what I've done? They resent them because they're self-seeking too. They want honor too. And so Jesus explains to them, and you know, you would think that, uh, that he would just get all exasperated and say, you guys just wear me out. But he explains to them something that we need to keep being reminded of in verse 42. Jesus called them to him, and I assume this uh, doesn't just include the ten, but the whole twelve. And he said, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles lord it over them. They exercise lordship, ownership, bossship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He is saying that this world, the way this world operates, operates the way it does because of the fall. And because of the fall, it's all upside down, inside out, and backwards. Everything works exactly opposite and wrong to the way it ought to. And he says, here is how it is in my kingdom. It's not the great ones who rule. It's not the, uh, uh, the one who want to be the chiefest among us that rule, but the ones who are willing to be the least. The ones who will choose the lowest place. The rich man didn't want that. He wanted eternal life, but he didn't want to follow Jesus with empty pockets. He didn't, he didn't want that low place. He didn't want to be poor. He didn't want to be empty-handed. He wanted to have all this in heaven too. Jesus said in verse number 44, just to reemphasize, and whosoever you, of you will be the chiefest shall be servant 
of all. And, he's, and listen to what he said. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So here's, again, the heart of Jesus. But when Jesus' heart is revealed, it reveals the blackness and the ugliness of those disciples' heart, doesn't it? And the blackness and ugliness of the disciples' heart provides a wonderful backdrop for the pure sweetness and graciousness of Jesus. He said, even the Son of Man, the Messiah, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And... To give his life a ransom for many. And there's so many things in that little statement. To give his life means that he is giving it. He is willingly laying it down. Offering his life. He said in John chapter 10. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. And have power to take it up again. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus said, I give my life a ransom. And a ransom means, it's, it's the Greek word lutron. It means to free by paying a price. It, it, it uh, indicates that someone is either a slave or a prisoner. And a price has to be paid in order for them to go free. And the price that had to be paid for sinners to go free is that someone who was holy and pure and sinless would take their sins on himself and pay that ransom by his death. When we say it's by his blood, what we're saying is it's by his death. Death is the price of sin. It's the wages of sin. And Jesus took our sin on himself and he paid with his life. He literally died as we've already preached, but he literally died. He was stone cold graveyard dead when they put him in the tomb and rolled the stone to the door. There was nothing of no vestige of life left in that body. But he promised that three days later, the grave would not hold him. Death couldn't stop him. The devil couldn't overcome him. He would arise, and he did. But he gave his life a ransom for many. Uh, isn't that odd that he said it like that? <laughs> he didn't say for everyone. Gave his life or to give his life a ransom for many. And then 
Well, I gotta hurry. But we get down to verse 46, and we find another man, and we see his heart too. His heart is a self surrendering heart. So we have a we have a self serving heart. We have a self sacrificing heart in Jesus. We have self seeking hearts in the disciples. And we have a self surrendering heart in blind Bartimaeus. And they came to Jericho. Now they're traveling toward Jerusalem and they've been on the uh, east side of the Jordan. And now they've come across Jordan and they're coming, they come into Jericho. And Jericho, uh, listen to how Luke, I mean Mark tells us this in verse 46. They came to Jericho and as he went out of Jericho. So now he's on his way to Jerusalem and he's going to die in Jerusalem. So he's come into Jericho and he's going out. This is the last opportunity. I mean, if Brian Bartimaeus is going to see Jesus, if he's going to get in contact with Jesus, this is going to be his last opportunity. And so uh, uh, it, it comes to mind that, uh, uh, that we should be preaching to everyone, call upon him while he's near. They came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus. Now, does anybody know what Bartimaeus means? It means son of Timaeus. <laughs> and then Mark says, son of Timaeus. I don't know why that redundancy is there, but it is there. But uh, blind Bartimaeus. A, here's a homeless guy, a poor beggar sitting on the roadside. He's blind. He's helpless. He, can, he has nothing of his own. He is just uh, living at the good heartedness of those who pass by. People that might leave a coin or a piece of food or bread or something uh, in his hand, he can't earn a living for himself, and he's sitting there on the highway side. I remember hearing Lester Roloff sing that over and over, one sat alone beside the highway begging. But this is that song's about Bartimaeus. He sat by the highway side. But he heard something. He heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming. And he began to cry out. He cried out. He did not just mumble. He didn't just say, well, I hope he gets close enough. He started crying. He had no idea where Jesus actually was in the crowd. He just started crying out. And uh, he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Do you see any difference in the heart of blind Bartimaeus 
and the hearts of James and John and the rest of the disciples, do you see any difference in his heart and the heart of those uh, of the rich young ruler? Listen, this guy realizes that he, although he has nothing and he is nothing, he has anything that Jesus does for him would be mercy. He doesn't deserve any of it. Have mercy on me. And many charged him, why don't you shut up? That he would hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. He cried and he would not be denied. We used to sing a song when I was a kid growing up in church. They sang this old song that said, When pangs of death seized o'er my soul, unto the Lord I cried. Till Jesus came and made me whole. I would not be denied. And this is the attitude that Bartimaeus had. He would not be denied. They said, be quiet. And he just cried the louder. And he knew who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus was the son of David. He was the Messiah. And Jesus is always... His ear is always inclined to the cry of the broken, to the cry of the, uh, of the uh, humble, those who will cry out from their spiritual poverty and say, have mercy on me. Jesus heard his cry and he stopped and he called him and the man threw off his garment Get rid of anything that hinders you from getting to Jesus. And he goes to Jesus. And Jesus asked that same question he asked the, the uh, James and John, right? What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord. That's an important word right there. Isn't it? Lord. See, he had already recognized that uh, Jesus was his Lord. Not just master, not just teacher. Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight, and he didn't go his way. He followed Jesus in the way. As I was reading this a few years ago, it uh, came to my mind a verse out of Psalm 34, 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him <laughs> and saved him out of his trouble. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty good outline for this little section of uh, the story of blind Bartimaeus. Mm. This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him. Mm -hmm. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you'd just take these scattered thoughts and use them as only you can in our lives. In Jesus' name.